With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. Don't, don't be upset by a northern bloke. Ronaldo, he looks at me, smiled, and he never done it again. What's in there, Mickey? He went, oh, that's about 300 grand in there, kid. If I'm on the opposite end of an argument, Piers Morgan, that's a very comfortable position that I'm happy to be in. I think I'd be up there with one of the most irritating cricketers. Tom, we were getting on so well until that question. <laughs> you guys seem to get absolutely hammered. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> This week on the TWS Sports Podcast, we have a very special episode for you. We are releasing this episode on Saturday the 2nd of April because today is a very special day. Today is World Autism Awareness Day. I'm joined by my co-host Tom for today's episode and we have a very special guest for you. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is Temple Grandin. Temple is autistic and is one of the first people to ever document the insight she has gained from her experience of autism. Temple has released a number of books about autism and also has her own film out, which is called Temple Grandin. Temple graduated with a master's in animal science and went on to redesign the humane killing of animal livestock. She is internationally famous as a spokesperson for autism. I will hand you over to Tom to start the podcast and I hope you enjoy listening to our chat with Temple Grandin. Thank you. Hi Temple and thanks for joining us today. I want to start off at the beginning you were born August 29th, 1947. What are your earliest memories as a child? Oh, I can remember some things. I think around age three, I can remember um, some sessions at speech therapy school on how my teacher would, um, she'd hold up a cup like this and she'd say, now say cup. And then she'd say it regular like cup. And then she'd go cup, ha, huh? where um, I she would... Um, say it enunciation and then say it the regular way and then praise me. I can remember some uh, turn-taking games we played. Um, uh, one thing we did, we marched around with flags. I thought that was really fun. Those are things from about age three. You were diagnosed with autism at a young age. Did getting an early diagnosis help you and your family? Well, I'm to the time that I got um, was taken into the doctor. I had no speech. I did not speak until age four. So I had and and doctors didn't even know what autism was in '49 when I would have been taken into a neurologist, and um, they just said I had brain damage. And then a few years later, it was obvious I had all the symptoms of autism. I there was no question about that. But '49, most doctors didn't know what autism was. But I can't emphasize enough the importance of early intervention. I was in a really good program that two teachers just did in the basement of their house when I was two and a half years old. Do you think getting that diagnosis temple helped your helped your parents to support you? Well, what helped was getting into the good early intervention program that the neurologist you know referred my mother to. That was extremely important. I can't emphasize enough the importance of early intervention. You know, what I'm kind of seeing, you've got the kids where there's a definite speech delay. You know, kids with a speech delay, you've got to get into really good early intervention. 
Then you got the kids where there's no speech delay, but used to be the old Asperger's. And they're getting diagnosed maybe eight or nine years old because they have no friends. And um, uh, and then you've got, you know, individuals that remain very severe. You know, we've got a spectrum that's going from Elon Musk to somebody who never learns to dress themselves. What was elementary school like for you? Did you find it difficult or did you enjoy it? Elementary school was good. And one of the reasons it was good is because I was not bullied. And that's because the teacher explained to the children that I had a disability that was not visible, like wheelchairs or crutches. And I've since learned that's called peer-mediated intervention. And there's a paper that I've got online called How Horses Help the Teenager with Autism Make Friends and Learn How to Work. It's a free uh, download. I uh, you know, a typical 50s upbringing, you know, lots of playing around outside, flying kites, flying games, building things. Um, uh, in the summer, we went to the beach and I'd collect shells and make stuff out of them. Um, high school was horrible for me. I got kicked out of a normal uh, big high school at age 14 for fighting and a girl called me a retard. High school was absolutely the worst part of my life. You then went to college and you designed a machine to help you with your sensory overload. What machine did you build and how did it help? Well, that was a squeezing machine. I had terrible panic attacks. And when I went to my aunt's ranch as a teenager, uh, they had a, the next door neighbor's ranch had a squeeze chute to hold cattle in for vaccinating them. And I noticed that some of the cattle kind of calmed down, so I went and tried it. See, deep pressure's calming. So then I built a um, squeeze chute-like device for myself. And I write all about it in my book, Thinking in Pictures. I describe it in, um, in detail. And some people respond to deep pressure and other people do not. Sensory issues are extremely, extremely variable in, in autism. Now, Tom, I want to ask you, uh, are you still in school right now? Yeah, I'm still in um, school in the UK. And um, you doing anything on um, on working, learning working skills? Yeah, there's like lessons for like different life skills uh, in each session, really, in school. Yeah, when I was your age, I was cleaning nine horse stalls every day, feeding the horses, putting them in and out of the barn. And then I've had a little sign painting business. First sign I ever made for customers for a um, hairdressing shop. Do you feel that helped you, Temple, being outside with the animals? Did that help help you in any way? Yes. Yes. And I went, actually, after I got thrown out of the regular high school, I went to a special school for kids with problems. And for the first three years, I didn't do any studying. I basically ran a horse barn. I managed a horse barn for three years. Now, I was required to go to meals, go to classes. It would not let me become a recluse in my room. And my mother wasn't too thrilled about uh, not studying. And Mr. Patey, the headmaster, said, let her get through her adolescence. But looking back on this, I learned how to work. I learned how to work long before I graduated from high school. And what some of the research is showing now is um, um, the teenagers that have some work experience before they graduate from high school usually do a whole lot better. One of the big problems I'm seeing now, fully verbal teens, is it not learning life skills, things like shopping? So do you think schools, high schools, need to do more to support autistic children in, in getting them out of school, getting them more in the community, into shops? Oh, yeah, they need work? to be getting out doing things, learn how to order food in restaurants. See, I was brought up in the 50s, and uh, you'd sit down for a family meal, and if I stuck my finger in my drink, mother would say, use the spoon to stir it. She'd give the instruction. Because I'm seeing all kinds of grandfathers um, coming up to me at meetings and some grandmothers coming up to me and they find out they're autistic when the kids get diagnosed. Now, obviously, this is the type of autism where there's no speech delay. I had severe speech delay. You have done a lot of work with animals in your life. What is it about animals that you love? Well, it was obvious to me to look at in my very first work with cattle was to look at what the animals were seeing when they walked through a, a single file raceway to get their vaccinations. And something like shadows or a coat on a fence would make them stop. You see, I'm a visual thinker. I don't think in words. So it was obvious to me to look at what cattle were seeing. 
And animals live in a sensory-based world. See, I don't think in words. I think in pictures. So what did you do, Temple, to, to help the cattle? Well, I've designed a lot of cattle hauling facilities. I've worked on improving the meatpacking plants in the U.S. Half the cattle in the U.S. are handling equipment that I worked on developing. And then in the movie, you saw the dipping vat systems I designed. Very big motivator for me is I wanted to prove I wasn't stupid. And actually, in the 70s, being a woman in a man's industry was a much bigger barrier than autism ever was. So how did you overcome... Talking about that, then, how did you, as a woman, how did you overcome that? How, how did you feel as a woman in a very male-orientated industry? I had to make myself extremely good at what I did. And there's a scene in the movie where I go up and I get the editor's card because I knew if I wrote for that magazine, that would help my career. And I very quickly got a reputation for real accurate reporting on meetings. Like when I summarized the speeches at the Arizona Cattle Feeders meeting, they were summarized accurately. And I got respect for that. I also learned how to sell my work. I simply would show people copies of my drawings, copies of photographs of jobs. Like, for example, here's one of my drawings right here. It's in my book, Thinking in Pictures. And when I showed people my drawings, their attitude was kind of like, you did that? Well, maybe not so weird after all, if you could turn out that kind of work. I learned how to sell my work, not myself. And I always had with me a portfolio of drawings and pictures. So you mentioned that this is in over half of the farms and cattle farms in the US. Oh, it's not the farms, half the cattle. Okay. What about the UK? Has it it moved over to the UK, do you know? Well, some of my my things have. Some of the big um, slaughter plants in the UK have been used on my designs. And they're free downloads online. So I get used in different places. Half the cattle in our big packing plants are handled in a, in a device, a conveyor restrainer system I developed called the Center Track Restrainer System. And if you want to see that working, you can go look up Beef Plant Video Tour with Temple Grandin. A lot of autistic people find it difficult in social situations. Can you give us some advice on how you cope in social situations? Well, I got friends through shared interests. When I was being bullied in high school, the few places I was not bullied was um, horseback riding, friends who shared interests, model rocket club, and electronics. These were activities that um, I had friends and also the bullies didn't do any of those activities. Friends who shared interests. So I think it's really, really important. So what about temper? What, what happens, happens if you're in a social situation that isn't one of them? So you, you find yourself in a restaurant or... Some where they're not comfortable. Is there any techniques that you use to, to support yourself? Well, one of my problems I have in noisy restaurants is I don't hear very well against background noise. And also there's kind of a rhythmic kind of chit chat that people do. I just can't get into that rhythm. So I just sit there and watch TVs. That's often what happens. A lot of restaurants have TVs. You know, Tom, so I handle it all right. Uh, or the other thing that happens in a restaurant is um, I'll talk to the person maybe beside me about something specific. Especially young girls mask their autism. Can you explain to us what masking is and did you ever try to mask your autism? Well, it depends. See, some of the stuff on masking and burnout, I think some of this um, is anxiety. And uh, my anxiety is I went through my, my 20s, got worse and worse and worse and worse. That's been controlled now with antidepressant medication for 40 years. And I talk about the medication in my book, uh, Thinking in Pictures. Um, the other thing is just trying to act you know, more normal. Now, I don't. there's certain kinds of just politeness that you need to do. I wouldn't call this masking, saying please and thank you. Uh, the other thing is, do not be a rude, filthy, dirty slob. That's one thing we have to conform. But um, there's no way I'm going to be the social uh, butterfly and go out and do the bar scene. That's something I'm just not going to do. Uh, it's too complicated. I'd rather go talk to somebody about engineering or cattle. Because uh, <laughs> kind of stuff I find interesting. Oh, airplanes is another one of my favorite subjects. Aviation. <laughs> 
Can you give parents and teenagers some advice about how best to support their autistic child when they are having a meltdown? Well, first of all, I need to know sort of um, what's causing the meltdown. Okay, let's say, is it a nonverbal teenager? Is it someone like me? Someone like me needs to just go take a break before and prevent the meltdown. Um, you might have somebody who's nonverbal, they can't tell you. So with somebody that's nonverbal, first thing you've got to rule out is does this person have a hidden painful medical problem they cannot tell you about, like the stomach hurts or their tooth hurts, or they've got a urinary tract infection, something that hurts. The other time, other thing that could be a factor is a whole lot of noise. Is this happening in a noisy environment? And then a third thing is frustration because they can't communicate. And this is kind of a checklist you need to go through. And then there's a few people, well, they know how to manipulate with throwing a fit. I'll remember one case, nonverbal. Um, and when mom was driving, he would scream and mom would stop at McDonald's. But when dad was driving, he'd scream and dad did not stop. So he stopped screaming, approaching McDonald's when dad was driving. Okay, that's behavioral. So you've got to figure out what's causing it, especially in somebody who can't tell you. So what about you? There's a tendency to ask questions about this is way too vague. Um, You know, the other thing with the fully verbal teenagers, they need to be learning working skills. They need to be learning shopping. I, I see a lot of parents way too overprotective because I spent 25 years in heavy commercial construction. I would sell a job by showing off the drawings and the photos, then um, design it, and then supervise its construction. So I went on big construction projects and, and then start up that piece of equipment and make it work. And I worked with metal workers and with machinery design people that were either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. And some of them owned big shops. And they were selling equipment all around the world. And now today, the guy that ought to be doing that is playing video games in the basement because he never took a welding class or never took a carpentry class. I'm um, seeing this. I go back and forth between the worlds. And the people I work with, they're all my age now, late 60s and 70s. And the young ones aren't going coming in to replace them. So what about you, Temple, then? When when you were younger and you had a sensory overload or you had a meltdown as such, how what would people do to support you and how would you best come out of that sensory overload or that meltdown? Well, my biggest thing was, you know, people would bully me and I react with anger. And what I had to learn to do is to cry. You react by crying. And that's what NASA space scientists did when they canceled the space shuttle. It's the saddest thing you ever saw crying on 60 Minutes, a big national TV show in the U.S. Um, the projects get canceled, they cry. That's why they have those jobs. And on some of those granddads that came up to me, this was at a meeting in Houston. That's right where NASA's you know, space stuff is headquartered. Oh, they said, oh, half the people in that control room for the moonshot were on the spectrum. And, and I've seen the same thing in Silicon Valley. And people would bully me. I mean, I had places where I'd go hide in the meat plant, like in the basement or the electrical room. That was one of my favorite places to go hide. Nobody would dare go in there. <laughs> and I know what not to touch. There is no, a yeah. big about the following. Do you say the autistic person or the person has autism? Well, I we were of uh, the educators all wanted me to say person with autism. So I was doing that. Then I found out that advocates on the spectrum want to say autistic identity first. So I kind of do what uh, the group I'm talking to wants me to do on that. Now, I've always said autistic because my very first book was titled Emergence Labeled Autistic. And emergence is a really good title because as you get out and do things as a person with autism, you keep learning more and more and more. You actually emerge. I've had parents say to me, my kid just blossomed after he got a job. And you've got to get the right job. Got to no multitasking, quiet retail jobs often work very well. Office supply store, really good choice. A little bit quiet, get recognized for your knowledge of every printer that's in the place. So personally for you, Temple, would you say 
you are autistic or you have autism? Would you do identity first or not? Or does it do you not? Well, I, I'll do both. Okay. I will do both. You say that you are a visual thinker. How does yep. this help you in your day-to-day life? Well, everything I think about is a picture. Um, and there's other people that are math thinkers. And then there's other people that are word thinkers. And there's science that shows that some people are object visualizers like me, and other people are um, mathematical thinkers. And being a visual thinker has helped me in my animal work, and it's also helped me very much in in uh, my design my design work because I visualize the thing that I'm designing. As as you got older, you have learned skills to support you through life. What skills have you learned to help you in your life? Well, I I learned things like how to save money really young. I mean, one of the things they did in the fifties, you get a little allowance. And then there were certain items that were allowance items, like candy and comic books. My mother never bought those things. Or playing games at the county fair in the summer. And um, if I wanted something that cost 69 cents, my allowance was 50 cents, I had to save for two weeks. I was learning that when I was eight, nine years old. This is something that all the kids in my generation did. And that taught the whole idea of saving money. And I think when you start teaching job skills really young, like volunteer jobs at a church or, or a farmer's market when they're about 11, uh, instant you're allowed to work. You need to be working, you know, just a few hours a week. So you have a slow transition from the world of school to the world of work. The slow transitions are important. You don't want to just suddenly, school's over, now it's work. That's a sudden transition. That's going to be bad. So talking about transitions in general, so maybe a transition from a place to a place, did you ever find that challenging? And and how, as a teacher and a parent, can you support a child with transition in general? Well, let's just talk about some specific thing. I mean, like in high school, you had to switch classrooms. You know, I didn't have a problem with that because I was already, you know, riding my bike into the town and buying things. I think one of the problems we've got today are way too much addiction to video games. We've got to limit that. They're not having good outcomes. What advice would you give to autistic people who want to have a relationship with another person and have you ever been in love? No, I haven't. I basically am, if anything, I'm career first. I saw a lot of turmoil when I was a teenager. I never saw a situation I could see myself in. But where there's been successful marriages, people with autism, is again going starting with a shared interest, like maybe two uh, computer scientists, you know, or two um, uh, people in animal behavior. Those would be examples of a shared interest. Uh, you might be interested in this book, Different Not Less. I was the editor of this, and in Different Not Less, 18 people on the spectrum, diagnosed later in life, all had jobs because their relationships had problems. I, I got insight reading that. And where um, I, I think the good relationships are going to come through shared interests. And I want to ask you, Tom, have you ever had a job? Um, Not yet, but I am looking into getting a part-time job soon. I'm really interested in uh, just working on anything, really. I'm trying to look for a part-time job in the future. Well, I think you need to just get it. And sometimes the best way to get it is avoid the front door and go in the back door, where somebody just finds some you know place that not too much multitasking. I don't McDonald's takeout window would be bad. You got to avoid the multitasking. But uh, you know one of the things you need to be doing is get out and get a job and and just a few hours a week work into it slowly. You know, and you want to get that job done before you graduate, get some job experience before you graduate from high school. Um, you see, because when I, you know, because these granddads, ones especially where there was no speech delay, they had paper routes when they were 11 years old. And so get out and, and do something. I'd wait as soon as the holidays are over. What kind of a job do you think you'd like to do? 
Um, well, I know I want one around people and I'm kind of thinking maybe it should be like one to do with like trade, but like not too uh, complex, really. So. Well, the other thing is maybe just um, I don't recommend uh, shelving groceries as a career but that or bagging groceries, but that's something that's a good training job. You know, you just got to learn how to get to work, be there. It's a different skill than academic skills. And this is where we're having a lot of problems with a lot of teenagers, a lot of parents overprotect. Um, 16-year-olds, 12-year-olds, they've never gone in the shop and bought something by themselves. Do you think, Temple, because schools and teachers and educators um, have quite a good understanding of autism, but you find when you move into the workplace that your boss or other colleagues might not have a good understanding of autism. Do you think more needs to be done in the workplace to have a better understanding of autism? Well, first of all, the people with autism are not going to be good at interviews. See, the way I sold the jobs is I simply showed off pictures of the things that I had designed. My drawings, I'd show them at photos. That's how I sold things, showing my work rather than trying to sell myself. You know, that's what I did. And the other thing is, is um, learning to drive. It's going to take longer. That's how you deal with the multitasking. I did 400 kilometers on dirt roads before I did traffic. My aunt's mailbox was about six kilometers away on a dirt road. And six days a week, I went to the mailbox to get the mail. So I got lots of practice. You see, then learn, then operation of the vehicle is now in motor memory. I don't have to think about it. That solves a multitasking issue. If I hadn't learned to drive, there's no way I could have been in the cattle industry. There are lots of theories on autism on the internet, and I just wanted to ask you some of the theories that are controversial in the autistic community and to okay. get your opinion, please. Number one is, is there a cure for autism? Well, the thing is, autism in its milder forms is just a personality variant. You know, obviously, if a kid has speech delay, um, you want to try to fix the speech delay, obviously. But uh, no, they, uh, uh, you're always autistic. You just learn how to act in the play better. That's uh, what you do. And what's given my life meaning is making myself really good at career stuff. That that makes you know life interesting for me. Number two is autism is a genetic condition you get from parents. Yes, it is genetics. Yeah, it's genetics. Now the thing is, is the brain is very very complicated, and the same genes that cause autism and schizophrenia are the same genes that make human beings have a gigantic big brain, and that's kind of a complicated situation. And it's a whole lot of little bits of code changes. See, autism in its mildest form is just a personality variant. At what point do you put a label on it? See, it had, it's a true continuous trait. Obviously, speech delay is uh, uh, that's definitely abnormal. But then somebody's just socially awkward. Um, I've worked with lots of socially awkward individuals um, in the skilled trades, and they were super good at what they did. I think one of the worst things the schools ever did was taking out all the hands-on classes like sewing and woodworking and art and music. And on these are all things that people can get good, good at as a career. No, but it's a, it's inherited. Number three is ABA is. Yeah. Is ABA is best to support autistic children? Well, there's some old fashioned rigid ABA. that was really terrible. And uh, there's a whole lot, big range of ABA, and some of it's good, some of it's bad. Uh, the thing I always ask parents of very young children when you're assessing how good a one-to-one -one therapist is, is I have found that good teachers do the same thing no matter what the name of the therapy is. And I ask parents, are you getting progress, like more speech, better able to, to take turns? These are things that, that I ask parents also, if the therapy gets too rough, you can drive the kid into sensory overload, and that's completely horrible. And that happened with some of the bad ABA. So 
the kids should like going to therapy and should make progress, like more skills, better speech, and better able to take turns. And I'm talking here about very little kids from like two through five. You know, and then take people like you, Tom, you've outgrown ABA. You see, this is another thing. It's a problem. They're doing ABA on, you know, fully verbal people. It just gets silly. Uh, but they, good teachers that I've watched them, they do the same things regardless of what the name of the therapy is. Tambo, I just want to ask you about your film, which was which came out a few years ago. How much input did you have in the film? And is the film an accurate portrayal of your life? Well, let's talk about the stuff that's real accurate. Visual thinking shown accurately. All my projects are shown in the movie. I did all those projects. My drawings show up in the movie. They did a nice job of showing my mother, my aunt, and, and Mr. Carlock. That was really nice. Now, obviously, in a movie, they got to kind of pr- compress stuff together and make it work. Uh, it showed sensory issues and autism accurately. And Claire Danes sort of became me. I thought they did a good job with the movie. Yeah, it was brilliant. And the, the lead actor was, actress was fantastic playing you and um, had your, your mannerisms and your speech and everything perfectly. It was a really, really good film. I really enjoyed watching that. So what's next for you, Temple? What's, what's the future hold for you? Any plans for next year? What are you doing? Well, I'm still a professor of animal science at Colorado State University, teaching my class. Got graduate students. I just was meeting with one today for lunch. I got to get his, get him to get his thesis finished. And then I'm doing a lot of talks. I'm traveling again. I'm, I kind of figure at this point in my life, I hope to, you know, help other, you know, students that are kind of like me to get out there and be successful. If there was a um, a hobby that you could um think of trying what what would it be you think it'd be what if i could think of trying uh a hobby a hobby a hobby well i don't know i'm right now i'm doing a lot of writing you know maybe i get back you know building some stuff i don't know you know i got during the lockdown part of the pandemic i got back drawing some drawings again how did you find speaking of the pandemic temple how did you find how have you found the last two years as an autistic person, like isolating and, and being at home a lot more? Well, get up every morning, dressed for work, showered by seven o'clock in the morning. Every day makes a difference. And then I'm working on I'm working on a new book on visual thinking. Had to have something to do. And then very carefully, I met with some other people and, you know, would have lunch on Tuesday with this person and Wednesday lunch with another person. And i um, you know, see my students once a week in the, in the gazebo outside really carefully. I actually did a few livestock things outside. It was an essential industry. So, um, but I was very, very careful because I'm in my 70s. I was very careful not to get sick. And then as soon as I'm vaccinated, I'm traveling all over the U.S. right now. Um, Tom, I want to ask you, you're still at school, Tom. So how, what advice could you give to maybe teachers, Tom, that, how best to support people with autism? Uh, well, t- my advice is is to be as aware as possible and to make sure to um, reassure uh, uh, autistic pupils and just students in general in school and to give the best advice uh, you can to them, really. Brilliant. Would you agree, Temple? Well, that's you know, it's very vague. I, I tend to think in totally in specific examples. And the other problem is autism is such a big spectrum. Little kids that are not talking, I can pretty much give you a standard thing. But as soon as they get about over five or six years old, you know, then then we often have very different problems. I was just reading a book on, um, you know, that a mom wrote and her son is very severe. And, and it's not going to have a career. Uh, you can't tell the difference when he goes to a restaurant uh, that that he can either have a cheese sandwich or French fries. He also doesn't understand the concept that maybe he could have a cheese sandwich and French fries. You know, now he's a teenager. Yeah, and so he's got it, a very, very big intellectual challenge there and some very serious behavior problems. And, and he needs to have continuous support because he'll run off injure himself that's a very different situation than somebody like me when I was a teenager I had a lot of anxiety but um 
Uh, they put me to work, uh, basically put me in charge of a horse barn. It was the best thing they ever did. <laughs> a few more questions, Temple, if that's okay. I want to ask about, about food. Food is a big thing with autistic people. They tend to eat a lot of, of beige, dry food. Is there, how, were you, how was your experience as a, a teenager or a child growing up I, with food? I never had a problem. I could have been really a bad on just having cheese sandwiches. I was allowed to have that on Saturdays, but the rest of the time, I pretty much had to eat what was served. One thing I still can't stand is raw egg white. That is just vomit. <laughs> and they didn't make me eat that. I think it's fine to have a few things you hate. I get concerned with some of this picky eating uh, that the kids could get some of the old vitamin deficiency diseases. So if somebody's eating something like bread and ice cream, and that's the only thing they'll eat, yeah, they need to be taking a vitamin pill. Because there was one individual that came down with scurvy, that's vitamin C deficiency, because of their limited diet. You know, that's real serious. What you can do, what sometimes helps on that, is get the individual involved with food preparation. In the kitchen, you can play in it, help make it. Sometimes that helps. I noticed over your, your shoulder, the temple, you've got a poster um, about space. Have you ever worked with NASA? Is that anything you'd ever like to do? No, I wanted to go into aerospace, but I couldn't do the math. I'm one of these people that can't do the higher math. So I had to do it, go into an industry where I could do engineering without advanced math. I could do my old-fashioned arithmetic up to sixth grade. I, you need that for things like sizing pneumatic cylinders. I know how to do that. But the abstract math, uh, there isn't anything for me to visualize. In fact, I'm really concerned that in some school systems, algebra requirements of screening out visual thinkers and keeping them out of the skilled trades, which is one of the places they need to be. And I'm talking high-end skilled trades. I'm talking about people that were autistic, had 20 patents, and they're selling stuff all around the world. They barely graduated from high school. I worked with those people. What I just wanted to quickly mention is, I've I noticed that you've been um, mentioning about visualization and um i heard that visualization is a good skill to have in not only life but uh, in work as well well you see that you know, autism you can have the visualizers like me then you have the math kids and then you've got the individuals that think in words and they often are really good about sports statistics and and verbal facts and they're you know that you see what in the autism spectrum uh, people tend to be an extreme of one of these things, extreme visualizer, extreme math person, or an extreme verbal word fact person. Well, I want to see, you see, the other thing is you get out and you do things. It's a person with autism is a bottom-up thinker. Uh, people told me that my talks at age 50 were better than my talks at 30, and my talks at 60 were better than my talks at 50. And that's because as I got more and more experiences, I'm loading more data into the database. See, if you don't get out and do things, you don't put anything into the database. Then you kind of stay where you're at. That's why it's important to get out and, and, and do stuff. And my mother knew just how much to stretch me, not throw me into some situation I couldn't handle, always giving me some choices. For example, I was afraid to go to my aunt's ranch and mother gave me a choice. I could go for a week or I could go all summer. I got out there and loved it. But the tendency sometimes is to say, no, not, don't want to do that. She'd always give limited choices. She had a very good sense of just how much to push me. When I was 13, she found a seamstress that, uh, that uh, altered dresses in her house. And mother uh, had me working for her, uh, taking apart dresses and doing hand sewing. And I earned some serious money where I could go buy some stuff with it. I was 13. And that was something that my mother just set up in the neighborhood with a local person that worked in her home. See, we need to be doing more of those sorts of things. Like when my sister and I were like, I might have been 11, maybe my sister was eight. And we had a disastrous drink stand and we ran out of sugar. Well, you learn you need to have enough supplies, you know. That was, I was in elementary school. My sister was even younger when we did that. You know, that's another reason why I've got books I've come out with now, like uh, Outdoor Scientist, Get Kids Outside Doing Things. No, we got to get out doing things. And, and uh, that's one of the things I'd like to see you doing, Tom, 
I want to, I, you know my age. How old are you, Tom? Um, I, I'm 18 and I turn 18 back in October. You need a real job. You're legal now. You need a real job. I'd wait until the holidays are over. I don't want to have you get into a sensory overload in a Christmas store. That's absolutely crazy. Wait a minute. We need a slow transition from the world of school to the world of work. So it's not sudden. He needs to work even just a few hours a week before he graduates. That makes a slow transition. I cannot emphasize that enough. And find something that's not too much multitasking. You know, even if it's like, you know, six hours a week, something like that, to learn those working skills. So it's not a big shock when you just get out. Does that sound good to you, Tom? I no, like um I've been trying to insist on my parents about the overall work environment and it's coincidentally hit me recently about how important it is to go learn everything in the work environment and to just kind of like start somewhere and then lead up to be like somewhere close to where you want to be. Well, the thing is, the problem that's happening with a lot of people, I'm seeing this over and over again, get to high school, and then you just jump off in the workplace. See, and when I made the transition from school to work, it happened slowly, less and less school and more and more work. Because when I was in high school, um, I already knew how to run a horse barn. Every day, nine stalls to clean every single day. Feed them, put them in and out of the barn, fix the wall when the horse kicked a hole in it. That's stuff I was doing when I was younger than than you were are now. Sorry, Temple. Just before we finish, I want to ask a question about behavior because lots of people say that behavior is a form of communication. So you see a child having a meltdown and because they can't communicate. Would you agree with that statement that behavior is a form well, of yeah, communication? Well, yeah, if they if they if they're nonverbal and they can't communicate, I can remember the frustration of not being able to communicate and throwing a big meltdown because I didn't want to wear a hat, so I chucked it out the window of the car, which caused a car accident. You know, sensory overload, you know, can be a problem. You know, there are some individuals that need to take sensory breaks. And I would recommend, um, you know, a job that does not have a lot of multitasking for a first job. Want to have it be successful. Not something like chaotic store at Christmas time. That's when you don't start. And then things like public transport and, you know, learning how to go on that. Do you know how to do that, Tom? Um, I think I think I know the basics from what I remember. Well, that's something you need to just totally learn that. You know, and you do it in ba- and you do it in baby steps. I'll tell you, two years ago was the first time I ever went on the New York subway by myself. I was so proud of myself. And then what did you do then? How did you cope with that? What what strategies did you use to build up to go on that really busy subway? Well. Let's do it in baby steps. I went on it with other people, a whole bunch. And then the first time I went on it myself, I just had to go home and know which station to get off. You start in baby steps. Same thing with shopping. I had a 12-year-old girl come up to me at the airport, fully verbal with her mom, and she had never gone shopping. So I handed her a $5 bill and I said, go in that store across the hall. store that sells all kinds of stuff they sell at airports and buy something. And she bought a drink and she brought the change back and gave it to me. But it was a store where we could sit and watch it. We could see it. I didn't suggest that she go to the, over to the next concourse and buy something. See, I see it. as another. It was across the hall and we could both sit there and watch her. That's how you start doing it. One step at a time. And that's what I'm going to do with the bus or whatever it is. Do you find then it's quite often the parents that are holding the, their child back then? I'm seeing too many parents overprotecting. <coughs> and they're not learning, ordering food in restaurants. So what do we do with that? So you go into McDonald's when they're not busy and you're sitting there in the booth and they've got to go up to the counter and order the hamburger. And you're right there. You can see it. That's where you start. But I'm saying too much of this basic stuff, not getting learned. No, but this is the problem. And and um, there was, a, uh, I'm now thinking another person I got to shop, it was a lady down in Argentina. And um, 
I just speak a word in Spanish. And I found out you like National Geographics. And we were out walking around the town and found this used bookstore. And there was a National Geographic in it. And I pointed at it. And then I pointed at her purse. And I said, bye. And I walked away about a, you know, a ways away where I could watch. She went in and bought the magazine. First time she shopped. But I was watching from about maybe, oh, 30 yards away, 30 meters away. Got to do metric measurements, 30 meters away. That's how you do it. See, I see it. And this is where, you know, we've got to get out and do a lot more things. And you need to be learning. Let's get the bus system learned before you graduate. And what's happening with driving? Well, if you don't want to do driving, let's learn the buses and learn the trains. And I know you have very good public transportation in the UK. <laughs> and let's get the buses and the train learned before you graduate and have a job for a few hours a week. I think it's a really good thing for you to do. It's been um, it's been planned, luckily. I remember having a chat with my mom about this, but I'm actually going to be getting driving lessons um, February next year. So that's good. Now, the thing we got to be careful about is lots of times driver's education doesn't understand the problems of multitasking and autism, and they may try to shove you into traffic too quickly. You're going to need a lot more practice in really safe places like giant parking lots and, you know, deserted office places on weekends uh, before you do traffic. So the, the driving of the car goes into motor memory. You know, be careful they don't push you into it too quickly. And the ideal practice time is 20 minutes a day. I was so lucky that mailbox was six kilometers away. It was just the perfect amount of driving practice. You know, after I did a month and a half of that, I had racked up a lot of kilometers. And and I don't let them push you in it too quickly, but you've got to keep steadily moving ahead 20 minutes a day. And then you very carefully go into traffic. After you, but you want to get to the point where you don't have to think about how to steer, how to shift, or how to brake, or how to do the accelerator. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna practice as much as I can from the lessons. No, that's that's what you need to do, and then you have a lesson, and then are there big parking lots you can practice in? Um, from what I remember, I, I think there is. Yeah, because um, I've seen I've seen like two videos, ones about um driving lessons because um i also have two books um ready for it which i'm gonna soon study more about because i'm i'm not even halfway from my theory test book yet but i have been um i've had a little browse through it you just gotta find places like you know church parking lots uh, sports stadium parking lots these are all places where you can practice temple i just want to say a really really big thank you for taking the time to chat with us today we well, it's really, been good really to talk to you, it. and I just want to see you get out there and be successful, and I know you can do it, and you do it steady and gradual. I don't want to shove you into multitasking or shove you into sensory overload. No, we don't want to do that, but you need to just steadily keep advancing, and I hope you're not playing too many video games because I'm <laughs> seeing two paths, video game addiction or get out and have a life. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah. Look, I've been reducing that. I've been reducing that really well, and I've been waking up to reality more and learning more life skills. Well, that's the thing to do, and um, you know, quiet retail jobs are often good. I'll tell you what. You see, I'm bottom up, so I think in specific examples, office supply store has been really good. Auto parts store, um, things where it's relatively quiet. You learn all the products and then people appreciate you because you know every product in that store and you can tell people what's good about this printer or bad about that printer or whatever the thing is you're selling and people will appreciate that. Movie theaters have been a good job. So it's another one that's worked out well. And um, ice cream shops too is another one because they're they're quieter. The things you want to avoid is a super busy Takeout jobs, uh, crazy, super busy restaurant jobs. Those are ones where you're more likely to have a have a problem. I want because I want you to be successful. Brilliant. Thank you, Temple. Thank you so much for for that. Really, really appreciate it. Wish you all okay. the best and 
have a lovely lovely day thank you so much all right well thank, thank you so much it was great to be here no thank you thank you okay great yeah bye amazing tom how was that that was really good and i highly agree about when she preached about um getting a job because it's been it's been really difficult because like i've been i've been trying to prepare myself more coincidentally so i think that um really helped out a lot yeah i thought she was really really interesting interesting to speak to and she's had such a an amazing and extraordinary life and a different life and she's done so many things which is incredible and i really really enjoy speaking to her me too is there any advice that you're going to take from from temple um well one of them is definitely about overall work environment and what part-time jobs to take in um i i highly agree with retail um because that's what i'm planning on doing really i'm i'll just work in retail and then i'll kind of like work on projects on the sign on the sideline i'll probably end up doing uh but yeah i'm just i'm glad that i've got like that's now been like someone else who's been like telling me more about like uh, how to get ready for the, you know, just work in general in life. Cause I've been, I've been kind of like having that mindset more, a lot more recently. I think it mainly picked up two months ago, mainly picked up two months ago about me, like how serious it is that I actually want to go get a part-time job and start working my way up because uh, I do have big ambitions in my life. So I think that really works on that, really. Definitely. And, and you're an amazing person, Tom. And I think you can definitely, definitely do any job you put your mind to. And the skills you've learned just in doing a podcast, for example, is, have, have been amazing. And you keep making really good progress, which is fantastic. And I think, yeah, take some advice the Temple gave you on board and, um, and go with that. Yeah. So, Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a really, really good episode. I really enjoyed it. And again, your your questioning and your, your answers were fantastic. So, well done. Congratulations. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you next week. See you next time. Bye, everyone. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism. And each week, they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.